You're listening to WLPN 105.5 FM Chicago, and you're listening to Labor Express Radio, Chicago's only labor news and current affairs radio program, news for working people by working people. I'm your host, Jerry Mead Lucero, and this is the Sunday, April 2nd, 2023 edition of Labor Express. On tonight's episode of Labor Express, I bring you some national and international labor news, especially international Regular listeners to the program will remember that earlier this year, I vowed to improve upon the international labor news coverage here on Labor Express, as I felt it was a bit lacking in recent years compared to what we had done in the past. Well, I think I've increased the quantity of international news, and I hope to continue to expand our international coverage in both quantity and quality over the year. And tonight, I guess, is a step in that direction. We'll hear from a French trade unionist in the second half of the program who's a participant in the very impressive fight back against the anti-working class agenda of French President Emmanuel Macron, especially the attempt to raise the retirement age. Before that, we'll focus on a potential major struggle brewing here at home in the U.S. A national teamster strike against UPS, one of the nation's largest employers, is possibly coming in August. Contract negotiations are underway, and the recently elected reform leadership has vowed to ensure that the era of the concessionary contracts that we saw under Hoffa is at an end. They vowed to put up a fight and are starting to organize the ground troops to ensure that that fight will be a success. We'll hear from a UPS employee from Southern California about these efforts. Before that, we turn again to the international scene. Our friends at Radio Labor based in Canada on their most recent episode of Solidarity News spoke with the labor actors from Hong Kong about the Chinese government's crackdown on trade unions in what I guess used to be a semi-independent and autonomous Chinese territory. Here is Mark Belanger to explain the situation. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor report recorded on Thursday, March 30th, 2023. I'm Mark Belanger. In 2020, China forced Hong Kong government to adopt an anti-union national security law, which has resulted in the arrest of unionists and the collapse of the legitimate labor federation in the territory, the Hong Kong Confederation of Trade Unions. The HKCTU's general secretary is still in prison. This leaves Beijing's puppet labor organization, the Hong Kong Federation of Trade Unions, in power. I talked to Christopher Su Tat Mung about the situation in Hong Kong. Mr. Mung is the executive director of the Hong Kong Labor Rights Monitor. I reached him in London, where he is in exile. I asked Mr. Mung what happened to Hong Kong's labor centrals since the law was implemented. After the introduction of national security law, the Hong Kong Confederation of Trade Unions, HKCTU, as the only democratic and independent labor center, became one of the main targets of political subtraction. HKCTU was criticized intensively by the state-owned newspaper as being anti-China force, committing into collusion with foreign force and conspiracy of color revolution. The affiliation and cooperation with the overseas workers' organization were investigated by the National Security Police. Some core members of HKTU were even interviewed by the Chinese government agents. They were asked to resign from their posts or to disclose the internal information of the organization including financial source and links with outside groups. Under the intensive political pressure, the Confederation was forced to pass the resolution of dispensement in October 2021. 
How many trade unionists have been arrested, and who is the latest union leader to be charged? Until today, at least eleven trade unionists were arrested under the introduction of national security law. Among those people being arrested, the former general secretary of Hong Kong CTU, Li Cheyun, was sentenced twenty months for the charge of unauthorized assembly. Although he has finished the sentence, he is still being remanded in jail. Waiting for the trial of inciting subversion of state power, the former chairperson of HKCTU Kevin and the former chairperson of the Hospital Workers Union Winnie Yu, both of them are facing the charge of subversion of state power in the case of parliamentary election. Last month, Elizabeth Tang, the wife of Li Cheyun and the general secretary of International Domestic Workers Federation, was also arrested. Under the charge of collusion with foreign force, when she was visiting her husband in prison, the political suppression and intimidation against the union leaders have been continuing with no end in sight. Are unionists in Hong Kong fighting back against the suppression, and if so, how? Under the political threat, it is very hard for the trade unionists to voice out against the political suppression. They could not organize any demonstration to raise their political demands as they did before. However, the workers' movement, with the Hong Kong people together, do not give up their beliefs in freedom and democracy. After the disbandment of HKCTU, a number of former affiliated trade unions managed to survive. They are back to the workplace they represent and maintain the day-to-day contacts with their members. They are organizing the workers by providing labor law consultancy concerning health and safety issues and handling workers' grievances, trying to secure the independent voice in the workplace in the bottom. Without the support of the umbrella organization, however, it will be more, much more difficult than before for them to organize any mass industrial action, not to mention the political control imposed by the government. Nevertheless. The workers are finding out the new ways of struggle spontaneously and creatively. For example, since September 2021, there have been three times footprinted delivery worker strikes without the leading of trade unions. They were building up the networks through the social media to form the base on which the workers organized the strikes. I strongly believe that whenever there are oppression, there will be struggles. The regime can never stop all the oppressed people from standing out for their basic rights and dignity. The All China Trade Union Congress operates throughout China. Does it also operate in Hong Kong? On the surface, All China Federation of Trade Unions (ACFTU) does not operate in Hong Kong. However, everyone knows that the Hong Kong Federation of Trade Unions (FTU) is supported and controlled by the Chinese government. They receive huge amounts of funding from the Chinese Communist Party, and the party officers are cited as union leaders. Looking at the past record, FTU is simply the puppet of the Chinese Communist Party, supporting the national security law and the suppression of Hong Kong democratic and labor movement. After the disbandment of HKCTU, this pro-government trade union camp can easily monopolize the voice of the workers. And occupied all the labor seats in the tripartite mechanism. I am afraid that 
Hong Kong is taking the path to the system of mainland China, where only the official union is legal and recognized. What can be done to help labor leaders in Hong Kong? After I relocated in UK under the risk of political arrest, I decided to form the new organization with my colleagues based in UK called Hong Kong Labor Rights Monitor. Given that we are free to speak out the truth for Hong Kong workers, we have done a number of monitoring reports regarding the violation of basic workers' rights inside in the international conventions. It is important to keep putting pressures of the international community on the Chinese government, especially after lifting the restrictive COVID policies. The Chinese government is so eager to recover the trading and investment relations with the foreign countries. And that's it. Labor news you can use. You can listen to our daily newscasts and features at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Boulanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for working people by working people. Well, as I said in our last episode a couple weeks ago, 2023 is turning out to be possibly a pivotal year for the U.S. labor movement, with both the Teamsters Union and the UAW having just gone through historic elections for top leadership in which reformers were victorious, booting out decades-long union bosses who are rather cozy with the company bosses. Reformers in both unions won their elections on platforms of greater internal democracy, member empowerment, and greater militancy, especially in fighting back against the years of concessions. The UAW contract with the big three automakers expires in mid-September. That means UPS is the first up at bat with a July 31st strike deadline. And the Teamsters aren't wasting any time getting mobilized, as you will hear in just a minute. To put the situation in perspective, UPS is one of the top private sector employers in the world and reportedly has the largest number of workers under union contracts of any company in the United States. As a global logistics corporation, UPS impacts the economy on a world scale, affecting nearly every sector as a critical mode of goods shipment. The auto sector is not quite what it used to be. In its heyday in the 50s to the 70s, auto was even more significant, arguably, than UPS is today. You may remember the famous, or should I say infamous, quote from a head of General Motors during the Eisenhower administration who said, what's good for GM is good for America, which was, of course, meant to emphasize auto's importance to the U.S. economy as a whole. That's in the days before the massive outsourcing of jobs abroad to countries with wages that were a fraction of what is earned by their U.S. comrades. But it wasn't just about offshoring. Much of what happened was the moving of jobs within their country to right-to-work, mostly southern states, to escape union contracts. This was especially true with the foreign auto manufacturers, who ironically set up shop here in the good old United States, but in places hostile to unions so they could pay wages that were more like the equivalents of the exploited low-wage workers abroad. As a result, auto workers certainly still outnumber the 340,000 workers employed by UPS, but only 150,000 have union contracts today. But consider the situation. If UPS was to strike, and the strike was to really drag out far longer than you'd expect, and then some of the UAW members were to strike as well, you could have close to half a million workers on strike by mid-September. Certainly, that's a highly unlikely scenario, but it is possible. What is more certain and more important is that the impact these contract negotiations at UPS and the automakers will have not just on these half million workers, but on the future of labor in general. Auto still has an outsized impact on conditions and character of manufacturing employment, 
While hundreds of thousands of auto employees may not directly benefit from the UAW contracts, at least not at first, the conditions set at the big three automakers will inevitably put pressure on the non-union employers to make changes in their labor practices. And if we're really lucky and the contract is really good after a public determined fight by the UAW, perhaps efforts to unionize the non-union plants will get a major shot in the arm. The situation with UPS is even more potentially impactful. The logistics giant and their labor policies influence sectors across the economy. And the issues they face, uh, the workers they face, the increase of part-time labor, uh, work schedules that are erratic, shifting, and often lead to long hours, serious concerns with workplace safety, increased and incredibly intrusive employee surveillance, all these are things that are facing workers across the economy. A fight back at UPS could signal a pushback class-wide against these practices by our corporate masters. If nothing else, a strike at UPS would be the largest strike in U.S. history in decades. Given the situation, we will certainly be spending considerable time covering the contract fight here on Labor Express. On the last episode of Labor Express, we brought you audio from the Labor Notes Regional Troublemakers Workshop in Los Angeles, and I told you at the time I would bring you more audio from that event over the next several episodes. Well, tonight I make good on that promise. We heard from a fired-up UAW member on the last episode. By the way, an update on the situation there. The reformers have officially won now. The court-appointed monitor declared Sean Fain the winner over the uh, representative of the old guard, Ray Curry. Curry has uh, conceded, and Fain um, comes into office with a top leadership dominated by newly elected reformers. So really good news there. But tonight, what I bring you is Carlos Silva, a very filed-up member of Teamsters Local 517 and an employee of UPS in Gardenia, California. He was at Labor Notes clearly to both galvanize his own members in the Teamsters uh, for the coming fight at UPS, but also to recruit allies from across the working class. So here's Carlos. So my name is Carlos Silva. I'm a shop steward at UPS Gardena. I have been with the company 25 years. I have a position of a combo driver. I split my times between handling packages and delivering air in the morning. It took me some time to get involved with the union. So it's great to see so many other union activists here today. So in my building, UPS Gardena, we have about 600 members. Many of our members they didn't even know that we're part of a union. But with the help of Teamsters for a Democratic Union, TDU, and two of my Teamsters brothers, Omar Moreno and Dave Valencia, we started taking action to enforce the contract. Supervisors were taking our work, harassing members, and constantly breaking the contract. So we learned how to file grievances and started holding them accountable. We used the money for those grievances to print flyers, organize parking lot meetings, and educate other members on how to enforce the contract. We started as just a small group on three rank and file members. But over time, members saw that we can hold management accountable and defend themselves. Now. There are more activists at UPS Gardena taking action to enforce the contract. That's right. Hundreds of members have been involved in organizing, even if it's just signing a petition or coming to a parking lot meeting. 
We do not sit around and wait for someone to come and save us. You do not need permission to get organized and active at your workplace. You need to put your boots on tight and walk the walk. With the members getting involved and taking action, we have put management in act on notice. We have won multiple demands. Most importantly, we have created unity in our building. Now, all across the country, UPS Teamsters are doing the same thing. We are uniting for a strong contract at UPS. So what are we fighting for? For most of my time that I have worked at UPS, we have been losing to the company when it comes to contract time. In 2018, the majority of members voted no on the contract. We voted no because of concessions like a two-tier system and low wages for part-timers. Yeah. Our leadership did not have our back, so they forced the deal through. In 2021, we had a chance to elect new Teamster leadership. So we voted out the half a sellout regime and the officials who were afraid to stand with the members. We voted a new militant leadership that rallied rank and file UPS members to win the contract we deserve. Right now, our brothers and sisters and the United Auto Workers are doing the same thing. And I'm gonna put you guys on the spot because you guys need the recognition that you deserve. I wanna congratulate you guys for the soon-to-be official victory, because it is a victory. You have won already. With Sean O'Brien and Fred Zuckerman at the head of the Teamsters, UPS members are getting involved in our union like never before. We kicked off our UPS contract campaign last August with a parking lot rallies from Los Angeles to Boston. Now, we're in the middle of the National Contract Unity Pledge Drive. Hundreds of thousands of UPS Teamsters are pledging to, to stand up, united to, and the two-tier system, and the part-time poverty and raise part-time wages, to win more full-time jobs, to stop subcontracting our work to non-union companies, to stop force excessive overtime, and let us spend more time with our families, and to stop the harassment with harsh penalties for supervisors who abuse us. Come July 31st, UPS Teamsters from Los Angeles and across the country are getting ready to hit the streets if UPS won't give us what we are worth. We are going to make UPS deliver. We know that UPS has money. They made $13.9 billion in profits last year alone. 
So if it takes a strike, we are ready. Why it matters? UPS contracts the largest private sector union contract in the United States. There are more than 350,000 UPS brothers and sisters. Now we have the win on our back. We have new militant leadership, an organized rank and file, a strong contract campaign, and public support for unions like never before. But this contract is about more than UPS Teamsters. Our contract fight is about a choice for the labor movement and for America. So, are we going to let the low wage, sweatshop, race to the bottom model of companies like Amazon become the norm? Or are we going to stand for the union jobs that provide a good life for all workers? Are we going to let our workplaces be divided by the two-tier system that sells out the young and the unborn? Or are we going to stand united and raise everyone up? Are we going to let our unions decline? Or are we going to organize and win a strong contract that inspires non-union workers to join our movement? <laughs> our UPS contract fight is about setting the bar higher. It's about standing united against the two-tier system and telling the company, no, you will not divide us or break our union. It's about inspiring workers at Amazon and other industries. It's about showing them that with a union, we come out on top. Our fight is about issues that affect millions of workers, like excessive overtime, part-time poverty, two-tier system, safety, and on-the-job harassment. It's about showing that when we stand up and fight, we win. We are all in this fight together. So now, how can you support us? A strong contract at UPS delivered by a united and militant rank and file is a victory for all of us. We are now close to mid-March. Our contract expires on July 31st. There is still much to do between now and then. I do know we are putting UPS on notice and taking our fight into the public. I want to get you participation. So by show of hands, how many of you have been on a strike or might be on strike soon? That's right. Wow. Yes. UPS Teamsters do not cross picket lines. So raise your hand if you will honor our picket line if we will have a strike in August. Keep your hands up if you will talk to your union brothers and sisters about our fight. 
This summer, we're going to canvas around customers to let them know we're fighting for and asking for their support. Raise your hand if you are willing to come out in the summer to canvas with a UPS in your neighborhood. Yes. Raise your hand if you can talk to your UPS driver and let them know you support our fight for a strong contract. In April, we're going to hold rallies across the country as the national bargaining kicks off. Raise your hand if you're willing to come to stand with UPS Teamsters at the Los Angeles bargaining kickoff rallies. I'll be there. It's great. With all your participation here, it shows the power and the energy we have in this room. So you can help us fight back. You can help us turn out the heat against UPS and the public eye. So share our story with the public. Share what you have learned here with your brothers, family, and your union brothers and sisters. Use social media to spread the story of our fight. The Levering Notes Conference is about rank and file members supporting each other across the country. That's what needs to be done to win a strong UPS contract and to give our unions a future. United, we win. Thank you. We will certainly keep following these developments with the Teamsters at UPS closely here on Labor Express. You're listening to Labor Express Radio, which calls only Labor News and Current Affairs radio program. We need to take a station ID break, but when we return, the French working class in open revolt against Emmanuel Macron's neoliberal anti-democratic machinations. So make sure you stay tuned. You're listening to Labor Express Radio News for working people by working people. The past couple of months has been a good one for the masses in revolt against the wave of authoritarianism globally. Just to name a few examples, we saw the protests continue in Iran, and the government made some concessions in that regard to the Iranian people, including supposedly at least suspending the operations of the feared morality police. I guess they have kind of disappeared from the streets, at least for now, and releasing some 22,000 people arrested in recent protests. 22,000. Unfortunately, the government continues to target those in resistance, especially women, in some of the most heinous acts uh, you can imagine. In Georgia, in the country of Georgia, not in the state of Georgia, the government, under pressure from Putin and Russia, was set to pass a law that would have imposed limitations on media and the press, but they backed down in the face of massive street protests. Most significantly, the want-to-be dictator of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, was forced to back off efforts to eliminate an independent judiciary after truly massive protests that saw a significant portion of Israel's citizenry mobilize, uh, including crippling general strikes, uh, which I think is one of the clearest examples of the potential power of the working class that we've witnessed in recent years. Unfortunately, that means almost nothing for the millions of Palestinian victims of Netanyahu in the state of Israel, of course. And despite these exciting and important victories, there are also many mass revolts that, despite massive mobilizations, have continued to see resistance from those in charge. Most prominently is the situation in France, where over two months of strikes, protests, marches, clashes with the police, etc., they have yet to force Emmanuel Macron to back off raising the retirement age, a move that is widely unpopular in the country, so much so that Macron had to circumvent the normal democratic process to pass Uh, the change in the law using executive power through an article called 49.3 of the French Constitution, 
basically uh, imposed the the law despite the opposition of the legislature. Despite so far being unsuccessful, I think the French working class is demonstrating the true power of our class uh, it has when it can be mobilized and should be a model for what we should be doing here in this country, I believe. Indeed, in France and across the world, despite, or I guess largely because of his instragedness, there's an increasing belief that Macron's regime could be toppled by this mass social movement. To help us understand what's going on in France, I turn to our friends at Building Bridges, your community and labor report, which airs on WBAI in New York City. Host Ken Nash and Mia Rosberg interviewed French educator and union member Alisa Moros about what is going on in France. I'm Mimi Rosenberg. I'm Ken Nash. We're Building Bridges. Behind the millions, with workers in the lead, protesting in France, and with more protests expected this week. Could it spell curtains for the Macron government? Ah, we'll find out. Historic protests in France. Where to the French working class? We're joined by Elisa Moros, a teacher and member of the Sud Education affiliated with La Union Syndicale Solidaris and the Nouveau Parti Anticapitaliste to talk about the largest days of protest in decades with unprecedented union support and student turnout. The workers and youth of France are pushing unions to take up a militant strategy to defeat not only the latest pension reform, but pushed through by the Macron government, but also... Macron and his government, Elisa Moros. So Lisa, talk about the work that you do and your role in the union. I'm a high school teacher and I'm an activist in the NPA, which is uh, French for NPA, the Nouveau Parti Anticapitaliste, uh, which is the new anti-capitalist party, which is uh, the translation in, in English. And I'm also a teacher's union, from the education union, which is affiliated to the... So uh, mainly what I do uh, at the, uh, the unions, I, I'm an activist. I organize with the, other, with the other teachers, and not only the teachers, but the other workers of the high school in order to yeah, defend our rights and at this precise moment, we are in the movement. We're in the, the pensions reform in France. Alisa, uh, I'd like to start with what's caused this entire crisis right now, which is the enactment by Macron, my minister. Uh, he imposed it of uh, pension, quote, reform, end quote. Tell us what that is and what that would, how that would affect the workers in France. The problem with this reform it's making worse what is already bad. Right now, the minimum re- retirement age is 62, but uh, the mi- minimum retirement age is not the retirement age. Because in order to be able to retire at 62, you need to have 42 years of contribution. Only if you have these 42 years of contribution, you, ha- you can retire at 62 with what we call a full rate, which is 50% of your gross salary. If you don't have the 42 years of contribution, you can retire at 62, but without the full rate, so which, with, uh, with a lower pension, which is actually the case for men that are retiring today. On average, people retire at 63, but many of them retire without a full rate. And this is particularly true for uh, the people with career bre- breaks, 
So that's the case for people who find themselves unemployed for a while. And especially that's the case for women because they have high rate part-time employees, career breaks to take care of children. The gender pension gap in France is at 40% today, while the gender wage gap is at 25%, I think. So it's, it's much bigger. So the two main measures of this reform are raising the minimum retirement age to 64 and increasing the years of contributions to 43. This reform has the double effect of making people work longer and at the same time, lower many people will not be able to continue working any longer and will just settle for a lower pension. I mean, that's what happens today already because the, the employment rate today among the senior citizens for unemployed people over 50 is almost impossible to find a job today. So many people that today retire at 62 would just be unemployed with the reform. The main measures of the reform is the abolition of what we call the special regimes with harder working conditions, such as the sanitary workers, the people who pick up the garbages in the street, and also the railroad workers and the workers in the energy sector. There are some, some sectors which benefit today of what we call special retirement regime, which basically allows them to retire at a full rate earlier. The reform abolishes some of these regimes. Uh, it abolishes the, the regime of the railroad workers, sanitary workers, or the workers in the energy sector, but it maintains very special regimes. It maintains, for example, the special regimes and the special regimes of the Senate. Sum it up reforms after six years of Macron in power with systematic attacks to unions, to workers, to the unemployed, to immigrants, to women, to the young, to the elderly. So basically everyone but the rich. And since Macron's arrival in power in 2017, French billionaires' fortunes have skyrocketed. Bernard Arnault, has recently become the first world fortune, as you know. Macron and, and his gov government have played an important part in all this. They have cut the tax on wealth and they have cut taxes, taxes for big businesses. And at the same time, they have lowered employment benefits, dismantled legal protection for workers. They have facilitated the repression of immigrants and activist protesters. They have um, attacked, uh, destroyed public services. They have closed the schools and ho hospitals. They have closed many hospital beds during the, the pandemic, Pri privatized the railways and so on. Uh, now in France, we say that this struggle against the reform is the mother of all struggles, because this reform for us crystallizes the struggle of the people against Macron and his government, who defend the, the interest of the rich against the rest. Basically, what he's telling us once more is that we need to work more and harder for less money, so the very rich can become much richer. We are saying no, we're saying that's it, game over. And it's important also to say that the social movement is not only opposing this reform, we are demanding a return to a minimal legal retirement age at 60 with 37.5 years of contributions. So back in the situation in 1993, prior to all the successive reforms. In the United States, it yeah. is very rare 
that yeah. organized labor takes up the issues that confronts the working class as a whole. Taking up issues that affect the whole working class, looking at issues of state power are not something that in our labor movement that, that we have worked on in a collective way. Tell us more about the consciousness of the trade union movement in France that is really tackling the issue of the pensions, but as a manifestation of state power and to look at a movement towards a far more progressive, if not a socialist government. So how are we to understand the role of the unions in taking the working class further towards its own empowerment? The two main French unions are uh, La CGT and uh, La CFDT. La, la CGT, uh, which is like the union that has been at the forefront of the mass mobilization of the last 20 years. It's a union with a, with a history of, of class struggle. We have also the CFDT, which is the other big union in France, which is a union that tends to avoid conflict against power and tends to prefer uh, to reach compromises, that has compromised with the gov government in the past, has even supported the government against some social uh, movements in the past. What is different this time, what is, uh, what is incredible this time, is that all the unions, including the CFDT, are together in the confrontation against the government. I think it's because the government right now just it, it became isolated because of its radicality, because of, of its incapacity to compromise and because of total radicality. The non-respect of democracy, the going uh, way too far that has broken something and that has that has enabled a, ma a very uh, massive union movement against it. Putting aside for a second the way this new law was enacted by yeah. Macron, let's pursue the issue of the demonstrations and the strikes at this point. To follow through with that, I'd like to talk about groups within the society that are not unionized, that are joining this movement. Yes. That is happening. I can explain a bit how the movement started and how what it has become now. The social movement against the reform began in January, following the government's announcement on the law in the Assembly, uh, which was on January the 10th. At that moment, the mobilizations consisted mainly of one-day national strikes, which were fo very followed and very successful, and big demonstrations in all French cities or big towns. With the na national strikes and the big demonstrations, the unions were the ones organizing the movement at the beginning. The massive strikes, I think it was 45% of workers on strike with millions of people in the streets. movement accelerated in February. A big one-day mobilization days every week. Many general assemblies were held in workplaces and territories throughout February. The question of the unlimited strike was being raised in this assembly. At the beginning of March, some branch unions called for unlimited strike. So the energy sector, the sanitary workers, the railway workers, so many workers in these sectors went on unlimited strike. But there has been a turning point in the movement with the triggering on, on, of the 49.3 on Thursday. So when the government pushed through the law uh, without the vote in the parliament, turning point with the 49.3 
has undoubtedly widened and radicalized the movement. Yeah, so like now the movement is much wider than just the union. Now, just to give you an example. So we said before, I'm a high school teacher. And I remember the day before the 49.3, the day before the push through of the law by the government, we were discussing in a general assembly in my school the possibility on going on strike during final exams held at the beginning of this week. And the majority of the teachers were at that time opposed to this idea. They were at that time opposed to the idea of blocking the exams. Uh, They didn't want to block them. And the day after, because of the push through of the law by the government, the majority of teachers in my school were suddenly in favor of the strike. And on March the 16th, there were massive spontaneous gatherings and demonstrations throughout the country. And they have been going on. People just gather um, everywhere in, 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 in Paris, in other cities in France, in different locations, which are decided spontaneously than these gatherings and demonstrations. But there have been several actions. They have been undertaken by, by unions, though. So there have been uh, strike pickets and blockages. For example, the blocking of motorways, of bridges and main, main roads. The high school students have joined the movement lately. And on Thursday, they blocked 400 high schools. This widened movement is facing repression by the government and some workers on strike in in some sectors which are deemed essential are being requisitioned by the police. They are being forced to go back to work. We have been having massive pickets with people gathered in solidarity with these workers. And and, uh, these pickets, because they are massive, and because people from everywhere are, are joining, and not only unionized workers, many other people too, they are joining these pickets. We are putting a stop to some of the requisitions. Of course, we continue to have big mobilizations, days that re- rhythm the movement and that are organized by the unions. Last Thursday, for example, was the biggest and the most successful so far with 3.5 million people in the street, 800,000 only in Paris. Yeah, but the movement is way beyond these mobilizations now. It's all the unlimited pickets, the actions, the gatherings, the spontaneous demonstrations that are taking place every day and every evening. I think that the role of the unions is still very important, though, because many of these spontaneous actions, it's, it's organized, unionized workers that are participating in them with some other people that are uh, joining their mobilization that are not necessarily unionized work. I'd like to understand whether or not you think this particular struggle might actually bring down the Macron administration. But beyond that, the role of the left, whether or not the party that you relate to and the more radical sectors of the union movement are capable of taking this seemingly reform struggle to an advancement of the issue of socialism. How do you see advancing the power Uh, through this struggle of the the working class to assume state power? Or do you? Um, 
I think that this movement, I really think it's going to stop this reform. I think this movement could overthrow, could revoke the government. We are actually already having some partial victories against the government. They were preparing an, uh, a law, an immigration law, a law against, against immigrants, a law, uh, basically a law that facilitates the deportation of undocumented uh, immigrants. They were preparing this law and they had to postpone it to it because they, they realized that they, they don't have the power in order to impose it, like they just did with this law. Even though the, the law, the, the, the pensions law uh, went through, they, they pushed it through uh, the, the assemblies. The mobilization is going on, it's getting wider, bigger and more important. So I think we're going to, to, to win this battle. I think it's rather in, like, in the long path of uh, proposing an alternative. What is important is that on the one hand, so we have the, the unions that are organizing the movement that is now beyond the unions uh, themselves, even though the unions play a very important role in it. The parliamentary left, who also plays an important part in boycotting this, this reform because they refused to, to play the game in the assembly. They tried to really boycott this reform. So I think for now, what we can expect that the parliamentary left capitalize the, this possible victory against the reform, we could have the, le the left in power in France, but it wouldn't be a socialist left <laughs> yet. It would be a more uh, social democracy left, which would be much better of what we have now after many years of neoliberalism. That would be a great progress towards the destruction of capitalism. Police indicated that one yeah. of the accomplishments of yeah. the struggle was to rescind vile yeah. uh, anti-immigrant legislation that yeah. was pending. And I was interested in how the two issues became linked and to what extent there is a greater consciousness to have the essentiality of a working class that encompasses the issues around race and the issues of the immigrant populations and support yeah. for them. It's really one of the, of the difficult issues in the left in France today. It's to manage to prioritize, to make uh, the fight against racism a priority in the left, which is not a priority right now. But in the last years, the anti-racist sectors of the left, the, the people of color in France that are organized, that, they, that have their, their own organizations, have imposed the necessity of the fight against racism. We have had some important social movements against racism in France in the, in the last years. What is really important in this mobilization is that the people of color, the workers of color, which are, which are targeted and which are the first affected by, by the reform, are present in the mobilization. There are many of the main sectors that are mobilized against the reform. For example, the sanitary workers, many of them are workers of color. So they are present in this mobilization and it's anti-racist left which mobilizes every time against immigration laws, such as the one that passed in 2018. 
I fear that if they wanted to pass this immigration law, they could do it anyway, because in these times, the left might tend to make a priority. The law against the struggle against the reform will be the priority. And I think it's important that we make a priority as well of the fight of the struggle against immigration laws. The actual movement with many people of color in it, their uh, left-wing and anti-capitalist demands can maybe and should uh, put the fight against racism uh, at at the center of it. How do you understand the incredible upswell and continuation of protest This issue of the pensions as the essential trigger to bring millions into action. And where do you see this struggle going now? For me, it was it was a bit unexpected. And why this particular uh, movement just was so successful? I think it's it's because of an accumulation of of things. You know, I think it's because of because it's after six years of macronism it's because it's the last straw it's because it's it's just too much also you know the 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 situation with the very high rates of inflation with uh uh, yeah with the situation which is getting which is getting harder and harder for for many people i think that this law it really affects everyone right because the reform of the retirement pensions i mean it, it just touches it affects everyone I mean, we should have, for example, destroying the public hospital because that affects everyone as well. But and I think it's a really good thing that happened. And I think that it's really important, though, um, indeed, that we work in it. Like the people, uh, you know, those of us who are um, active, who are mobilized in this movement, it's very important that we continue to, uh, to make sure that this movement, which is, of course, an left-wing and anti-capitalist movement against the, Mac- the, the, the uh, Macron and, and his words and everything he represents. Keeps in mind uh, also, you know, the, 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 for example, feminist, anti-fascist and anti-racist orientations, because, uh, for example, we said, yeah, this, this reform uh, affects everyone, but it doesn't affect everyone the same, especially, you know, uh, some people who, have, like, who work in the hardest conditions that are often people of color. It affects especially women who uh, have many career breaks and uh, and uh, part-time employment and, and really struggle to get uh, all the years of uh, contribution. So I think this movement has the potentiality of, you know, of being an anti-capitalist movement that really includes, includes the, 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 the gender and the race questions with, which are central to, to the anti-capitalist struggle. I think uh, we are seeing what what's a big union of, of, of the workers can can do and and uh, yeah I think we will just this will continue growing and on the I just can hope that we will uh, yeah that we will have a, a big up against uh, against the government and that we will overthrow them. Alicia, if you could tell us more about what actions will be coming this coming week? Both strikes and demonstrations will it be centered in Paris. Is it going to be throughout the country? Tell us more about what's happening this coming week. So our next big mobilization day will be on Tuesday. We will have again a national or general strike 
And we will have again big demonstrations in the streets of every city, every important city in France. Big mobilization day, which we have now, uh, we have one or two uh, per week. But at the same time, the different branch unions and the different sectors are organizing and holding uh, general assemblies and they are deciding of uh, local actions of uh, local pickets of um, branch or sectors strikes. And at the same time, every evening, we have spontaneous gatherings and demonstrations that are taking place in Paris, but also in, in the other French cities. And in different sectors, we are trying to work towards unlimited strike, which is, you know, there are some sectors that, have, that are already on uh, unlimited strike. So the sanitary workers, the workers, the, the um, railroad workers, uh, the workers of the energy sector, many of them are already on unlimited strike. And what uh, I mean, the next step what we are trying, what we would like to succeed is to to widen this unlimited strike to to other sectors. Invalidating the law, just throwing away the reform, is not enough anymore for us. The social movement is not only uh, demanding the revocal of the reform, we are demanding a return, as I said, to a minimal uh, retirement age at 60 with 37 point years of contributions. So back to 1993, which is a long time ago. One, I'm most interested, since you are a teacher, in the thoughts and activities and involvement of the young people that you teach? As a teacher, yeah, we work with, with young people with young, who are not very active at the beginning of the movement. Where, I mean, you know, the, the, the timing was maybe not the best for them because they have their final exams in March. The timing was not great for them in order to organize. At the beginning of this week, they had their final exam. And since they have massively joined the movement because... On Thursday, we had 400 high schools. Of, uh, there were a lot of, uh, of high school blocks in Paris, and, and, and it was massive. I mean, many, many of the students uh, put, um, joined uh, these blockings. Some of the young uh, people activists were, were, were present and were active from the beginning of the movement, but the movement is getting wider among the young too. Maybe one of the main issues for the young that they articulate, one of their main preoccupations right now is the climate struggle, which is a struggle very connected to the struggle against capitalism, productivism. So I think it's one of the main concerns of the young activists, uh, the ones that are in high school today. They tend to articulate the issue of the struggle against the reform uh, with the issue against to the struggle against against climate change. As we conclude, whether yeah. there are particular things that you would like to to leave us with, as we send our solidarity from the working class here to our uh, comrades in France. I just want you to thank you for your support. Uh, thank you for having me here and for supporting the, the struggle of the French workers today. A struggle that I hope will, uh, will continue widening, maybe spreading beyond France. That would be great. So, um, so we could uh, support the other, the other workers in struggle too.
You've been listening to Alisa Moros, teacher, member of the Sud Education, affiliated with La Union Sindical Solidaris and the Nueva Parte Anticapitaliste in France. Thank you to Ken Nash and Mimi Rosenberg of Building Bridges for making that audio available to us here at Labor Express. You can find out more about Building Bridges at a link up at laborexpress.org. Of course, you can find out more about all kinds of things related to our program here by going to uh, laborexpress.org. One last thing before we go, on our last episode, I included a speech by UTLA, that's uh, United Teachers of Los Angeles, Secretary-Treasurer Arlene Ainoa. The three-day strike that we discussed or that was discussed in that speech did happen, and it turns out it was successful. Uh, after months of the school district's stonewalling, forcing members of SEIU Local 99 to work on an expired contract, uh, the uh, three-day strike led the uh, school district to a uh, agree to a tentative agreement with the union representing the uh, education staff and not represented by UTLA. So this is like um, support staff, basically, of, of different types uh, in the schools. The tentative agreement includes a 30% raise and full health care benefits for a wider class of workers, uh, among other things. So another example of people's power in action winning the goods. Definitely a very exciting development there. We'll see what happens with UTLA uh, later this year. So... Well, that's all for tonight's program. Labor Express is a nonprofit 501c3 member of IBW Local 1220. The Express on Labor Express are those of its producers, not necessarily of IBW. Labor Express is a production of the Committee for Labor Action in Chicago, the world capital of the labor movement. Labor Express is a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, working people's voices broadcasting worldwide 24 hours a day. Find out more at laborradionetwork.org. The song is our theme is called Worker Songs, written by Ed Pickford and recorded by the Dropkick Murphys. Tune in every Sunday at 8 p.m. or Monday at 11 a.m. on 105.5 FM or lumpenradio.com for more Labor Express. Hey, hey, hey.